You know what? It, it is hard to win football games. It's hard. Um, you've seen it in the first three games. It's hard. Hello, welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, September 21st. Hope you're enjoying the show or as you're getting the show. It's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or if you're here with us on the ESPN YouTube channel, we really appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. If you're looking at me right now and look like I got hit by a truck, it's because I feel like I did. A metaphorical truck, that is. Last few days, I have been insanely sick, trying to get through it, finally feeling well enough to be able to put this on tape this morning. So hopefully, uh, I'll be getting better and better from this time moving forward. So I apologize for not being with you guys much the last couple of days. I'm bummed that I didn't get to kind of recap what happened last weekend in the college football world. I was bummed. I watched it, had a great time watching it. Felt terrible Sunday morning. So it's just, uh, it felt great all day Saturday. And then sure enough, Sunday came and it just wasn't meant to be. So sorry, I couldn't be with you, but know that I'm going to try my very best to get through it uh, and, and try very, very much to not miss any more shows. Uh, moving forward, that's for sure. Nothing worse than being sick during football season. There's nothing worse than that. So uh, we have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about what's the better job, Nebraska or Arizona State. Both jobs are open, by the way, in case you're not aware. <laughs> uh, we also look at the 10 questions that we want answered this week, like we do every single Wednesday. And we're going to take a look at another episode of Eli's Places. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Well, as you know, Herm Edwards was relieved of his duties on Saturday night following his program's loss to start the season one and two. Look, Arizona State to me is is something that's really difficult to figure out. I, I've always wondered why can't they win? Why don't they win? And it feels like a place with 65,000 undergraduate students in a fairly talent-rich part of the country there in Phoenix, Arizona, Tempe to be exact. And with the access and proximity that you have to California to be able to go and get players from California as well. I've just always wondered, why isn't Arizona State good? And I think they have poor management, first and foremost. Uh, I think that if you look at what's transpired of the Ray Anderson era, uh, it hasn't been great by any stretch of the imagination. Pretty much every program there, it feels like, is pretty terrible. Basketball had its moments. Football's had its moments. Baseball, I believe, has had a moment or two, but for the most part, you look at pretty much all the sports right now at Arizona State, not doing so well. So why is that, you think? I really don't know. I honestly don't. Because to me, there's no excuse for why this program shouldn't be good at every single sport. Arizona State's got a lot of money. They have a lot of boosters. And I think if they would make some quality hires, they could potentially win a lot of games in whatever sport it may be. But I do want to compare it to the Nebraska situation right now. Which is the better job? Is Arizona State the better job or is Nebraska a better job? Because everything initially kind of would lead me to think that Arizona State's a slightly better job. Why? Access to talent. Simple as that. And it's purely about football, I might add. Access to talent. If you look at the amount of four and five-star players that are coming out of schools... Uh, in Arizona and or schools that border Arizona, states that border Arizona, but within a five-hour geographic radius, five hours in every direction from campus in Tempe, 
you're going to have a lot more quality players in that radius than you are in a five-hour radius from Nebraska. Now, that's what I would say. However, the things have changed, I think. NIL has changed things drastically. We know that Nebraska is going to be insanely supportive of NIL. We also know that the Big Ten and the new media rights deal, and knowing that right now Arizona, Arizona State, kind of up in the air. Not really sure, are they going to be in the Pac-12, Pac Pac-10, or are they going to go to the Big 12? George Klyovkov's convinced that they're not going to be going anywhere. No one's going anywhere. I've, I don't know that for certain. I, I think he's right. I believe him when he says that. But right now, I actually think that Nebraska is a better job, which is something I would not have said prior to the last two years. But with NIL and with where the Big 10 currently is, Nebraska is the better destination. Either way, I think... Both Trev Alberts and Ray Anderson, assuming Ray Anderson will make the next hire for Arizona State. I don't know if he will or not. I don't know if he should or not, to be honest with you. But Trev Alberts, he is, I think, going to be tasked with a very difficult job. I think there's a lot of quality candidates. I think it's going to require some creativity. But I also think at the same time, Nebraska is still a destination. Don't forget. People will forget this. Scott Frost turned down Florida in favor of Nebraska. Just saying. Now people will say, well, no, no, he didn't. I'm telling you, he did. He turned down Florida in favor of Nebraska. Why? Because he played there, one. But two, he also thought that you could win there. Understandably so. It's all worked out for Florida. Didn't work out for Nebraska. So, something to consider there. I think that this will be a fascinating coaching search that's going to go on between these two schools. And I happen to think that both Arizona State and Nebraska are going to get good quality coaches because they still, to me, in a lot of ways, feel like destination programs. McElroy, real quick, what do you think about two Power 5 programs being open before October hits? It seems a little out of the norm. <laughs> yeah, well, here, what I can't figure out, and it's kind of as it pertains to Nebraska, like you are basically saying coming into the year, hey, we're going to we're going to keep you we're going to give you one more run we you know we think you were close last year and maybe this year you'd have a couple things bounce your way and you get over the hump and you know if you get to october 1st then your buyout decreases by 7.5 million dollars and you know maybe we'll fire after that they didn't even wait that long you know i mean i i my whole thing is the longer you drag something out the more harm you're actually doing ray anderson well Herm Edwards should have been fired last year. Simple as that. Mass exodus. He should have been fired last year. Ray Anderson, I think, should be fired too, if I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, and then I also think at the same time, when you look at what's going on in Nebraska, why was Scott Frost retained last year? They went three and nine. It's really, really can't justify it because they were close, because they almost got over the hump, because they played everyone to nine points or less. That's not reason enough to retain your job in my eyes. So uh, I think that you're always better off letting a coach go the previous December in an effort to get the right guy. Like I'd rather fire a coach too early than too late. Look at what Texas did. They fired Tom Herman, even though Tom Herman had some good things going for him. Brought in Steve Sarkeesian, you already see the boost that's happening. If you don't have the guy that can take you to the top or you don't believe he can take you to the top, what's the point 
and keeping him around for another year. If he's proven over the course of a, of a four or five year track record that he's not the right guy for the job, cut bait, man. Let's move along. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, just like we do every single Wednesday here on Always College Football, we get into the 10 things we want to learn this weekend. Coops, let's kick it off. All right. Big one right off the bat. Number one, will Syracuse keep the momentum and take care of business at home against Virginia? Why are you such a Syracuse homer? I love Syracuse. They're, my they're, like, they're like your number one question every single week. Well, with Notre Dame being as terrible as they are, I need a new team. And since I have a lot of boys that are Cuse fans, I might as well just ride that train. <laughs> can they keep it going? I really like what I saw from Syracuse last week. What I was most impressed with was Schrader's ability to deliver under pressure. Now, don't get me wrong. That was an amazing game. Uh, really an amazing game. We told you last week, too. We said, hey, this is the number one game. Of the five you don't want to miss, this is it. This is number one. I just thought the teams matched up really well. And Purdue came to play, man. I mean, they did everything they could possibly want to do. I mean, they, both teams played, I thought, pretty well. I mean, it's not like one team played awful, the other team didn't. No, I mean, it was just a battle. It was just a war back and forth throughout the course of it. So I was really impressed with Schrader's ability to deliver that unbelievable throw down, down the left sideline to win the game. That was probably the first time I mean, I've really felt fairly confident in Garrett Schrader with kind of his progress and maturation as a passer. I always felt good about him as a runner, but now I feel like he's definitely more of a dual threat type of quarterback where he's not just a runner anymore. He can beat you both with his arm and with his legs. So it's been a real breath of fresh air uh, with watching him so far this year. Uh, are there things that he can do better? Sure. Um, I thought that there was a lot of pretty wild plays in that game last week, if I'm going to be completely honest. Some plays that I never thought I'd see before, you know, <laughs> a couple big mistakes, but a couple of entertaining aspects of it as well. As far as whether or not Syracuse can take care of Virginia, they should be able to. I'm not at all impressed with what Virginia has going on so far this year. I can't understand for the life of me why Virginia's offense can't just can't seem to get it going. I mean, they struggled against Illinois, struggled last week against ODU. The offense last year was like gangbusters, man. I mean, up and down the field, Armstrong and these talented weapons on the perimeter, talented wideouts, talented football players, you know, FBPs, big guys like Keaton Thompson. I mean, these guys were, were great, great football players. They're still there. I mean, it's not like they lost everybody. A lot of the people that were there last year in a highly productive offense are there again. And for whatever reason, they just haven't been able to click in this new Tony Elliott offense. So uh, defense has been much better, but they definitely have some things to sort out offensively. 
Uh, so I do. I think Syracuse will get it done this weekend when they take care of the Wahoos. Uh, brother-in-law Pete will be very excited. <laughs> Moving on, number two. Can Tugavailoa and Maryland keep it close and keep up with the Michigan offense? This is an interesting game this weekend. It probably won't get talked about enough. I, I, I would like for us to at least spend a little bit of time on it here in the next couple of days. We have a really good weekend, by the way, of, of games and matchups and, and all these other things. Uh, I think Talia is a difference maker. We know that in the past, uh, he's been labeled as a guy that takes unnecessary risk. I, I don't think that's the case because if you really go back and study last year, there was really only one half of football against Iowa that really made his stat line and his slash look totally different than what it actually was. But so far this year, I think he's been smart with the football. He's been opportunistic. Now, I don't think he's played against any great defenses just yet. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, Buffalo or Charlotte or SMU or the 85 Bears. They're not. But in each of the last three games, I think he's made good, solid decisions. And I think one thing that I've been very impressed with is just how he's been able to complement the run game. It felt like at times last year, man, he was having to drop back and throw it way too many times. And I don't know specifically off the top of my head, you know, how many rushes they had per game compared to how many passing yards per game that they had. Uh, I don't know that. All I know is that I feel very, very confident right now when I look at how they're kind of splitting it all up with Roman Hemby and how those guys are now getting involved at running back too. Man, they have some really solid pieces all over this offense. So I think Talia is going to have to play great, no doubt about it. But I also think that the run game will help out as well because if you look at this Michigan offense, man, and I look, no one knows what to make of Michigan right now. I mean, Michigan is, they play the worst non-conference schedule in America. I mean, you Michigan fans can be angry about that. It's fine. I mean, they canceled their game with UCLA. I don't know why. <laughs> because obviously UCLA is joining the Big Ten. But it, as a result, we don't really know anything about them right now. I think they're going to be really good. Uh, but I know that they're not battle-tested. So I think we're going to learn actually a lot more about Michigan this week. Uh, and will we learn a lot about Talia and the Maryland Terrapins in the process? Probably as well. All right, moving on to another big quarterback. Will Anthony Richardson throw his first touchdown pass of the season this weekend. Man, I mean, what's gone on with this young man? You know what I mean? Like I cuz week 1 he was the best player on the field. I mean, the best player on the field against Utah. Totally took the game over, was unbelievable with his legs. Everybody got all fired up about what he's eventually going to be. We all had our comps. I said he reminded me of a young Vince Young and, you know, I mean, I've been killed for it on Twitter ever since, which is fine. Like that's what cops are for. And everyone's entitled to, you know, ripping someone's cop that goes sideways. It's totally reasonable. Uh, but I also think too, man, this young man, he looked shelled against Kentucky, just shelled, rattled, couldn't necessarily get out of his own head or get out of his own way. Did not look decisive when he was throwing it. Did not look decisive as he tried to take off and run both times or three or four times he actually tried to do so. So I, I think this young man, they need to find something for him to make him feel a little bit more comfortable. He threw the bad interception in the end zone to the left last weekend. And that one is 
the tiniest bit forgivable. He predetermined throwing the back shoulder. And I think right now, you know, back in our day, it was all about, hey, we got to throw to the back pylon on a fade. Like that was, you know, we were, uh, we're all a million years old, right? So <laughs> we're all a million years old. You throw it to the back pylon, you know, that's where you throw a fade. Now everyone in the red zone, they're just playing for the back shoulders because that's where more guys are throwing it. So uh, did ha- has played poorly the last couple of weeks. I mean, there's, there's no denying that. Uh, and needs to get back to doing what he does well. Has not been very accurate with the football. Has not made great decisions. And the craziest thing is I don't think he's run the ball real well the last couple of weeks either. So I, I just want to see him getting back to doing what he did in week one. I'm not saying he's going to be able to replicate that performance week in and week out. I mean, he had 106 yards and 11 carries and three touchdowns. But the last two weeks combined, 13 carries, 28 yards, zero touchdowns. 13 carries, 28 yards, zero touchdowns. And a long run in the last two games of 16 yards. So you take out that long run, now you're talking about 12 carries for 12 yards, zero touchdowns. So they need to get this young man comfortable again. They need to get his confidence back because he has not looked anything like he did in week number one. Talent's there, but now... It's hard to play quarterback when you don't have confidence in yourself to be able to play the position at a high level. So are you leaning no? He's not going to throw a touchdown? Just a quick one. Like, yes or no? Is he going to throw one? I think he's going to have to. (laughs) See who they play. If he doesn't throw one, man, I mean, unless they rush for three or four touchdowns, they're going to have a tough time keeping up with Hendon Hooker and that Tennessee offense if he doesn't throw a touchdown or two. All right, moving on to the Big Ten. Can Michigan State rebound after a humbling loss? To Washington versus a dangerous Minnesota team in Tanner Morgan. I can tell you this. This is not the team I want to face when I'm in need of a rebound. I I just think Minnesota is a handful. Uh, They are really, really good. And so far this year, they've allowed 17 points and have scored, gosh, 150, uh, 149 uh, I believe to be exact. Now they did lose Ottman Bell for the season. That was a bummer. Uh, I hate that he's going to be out. That's just really a disappointing thing for that young man. He's a sixth year player and they say he might come back for year seven. I hope he does because he's just been a joy to watch. But uh, Minnesota is a type of team that can travel. Now we referenced earlier the strength of Michigan's non-conference schedule. Well, Minnesota is pretty close. Uh They did, however, play a Power 5 team in Colorado, but they also played an FCS team and arguably the worst FBS team in all of college football. That's New Mexico State. So I'm not sure any of us really know exactly what Minnesota is at this point. I think that they're really good. I think I liked them a lot coming into the season. They were one of our dangerous teams. Keep an eye on this team. And that's kind of proving to be true right now, but this is the real test for them. And as far as... Michigan State's concern. We told you last week, man, that was going to be a buzzsaw. I mean, it, that that was not, to me, an indicator of Michigan State not being good. Uh, that was an indicator of Washington being much better than what people realized, of Michael Penix, a veteran quarterback, playing extremely well, being extremely hot right now, and a rowdy environment that was going to be extremely difficult for Michigan State to go into. Remember, we told you last week that Michigan State 
had not won a game in the Pac-12 footprint since 1957. All right? So it had been a very, very long time, 65 years since they'd won a game in the Pac-12 footprint. That streak continues. They'd lost 12 in a row, 13 in a row now if you include last weekend. So that's a difficult road trip, and it's a difficult matchup. So I am not going to lose a lot of sleep over it. I still think Michigan State has a chance to be really good. But this is a huge game this weekend, I think, because these are the two teams right now, Michigan State in the East and Minnesota in the West, that I think could definitely play the spoilers in their respective division. Minnesota might be the favorite in the West right now. But Michigan State, obviously, I don't know if they can get Ohio State. I don't know if they can get Michigan. But I really – or I don't even know if they can get Penn State. But think about that. I mean, those three teams plus Michigan State, is it's a brutal division this year. Michigan State needs this one. They have to start Big Ten play 1-0. And if they can, by protecting the home field, that could give them some momentum heading into the rest of their schedule. All right, number five in what I think is a story of college football, obviously, is App State. What can they do for an encore performance? Um, but will they have another incredible game against James Madison this weekend? Well, what's funny to me is James Madison is kind of the 2022 version of App State 10 years ago. Like James Madison has come into the FBS first year in the FBS. They are... Currently 2-0. and They're playing in the Sun Belt, by the way, in case you didn't know that. And they have flat out pounded both of their opponents this year. Now, Middle Tennessee State, that's an FBS team. They beat them 44-7. Now, Norfolk State, we're probably not going to lose a whole lot of sleep over that one. Like It is what it is. But tell me this isn't one that James Madison's had circled for a while. You know it is because they now get the opportunity. Hey, man, we're... Like App State was us. They were us 10, 15 years ago. And then they made the jump. And look at what they're doing now in college football. Well, we want to show them that we're not that far removed from being able to do what they did as well. So uh, I think that this is a pretty significant game. And if there's one thing I've learned so far about App State is that their games are going to be dramatic. Okay? (laughs) Every single week, you're going to have some drama with App State. Of course, the thriller against North Carolina in week one where they end up missing the two-point conversion there at the very end to tie the game. But it was after they had scored with 30 seconds left, and then North Carolina returned the onside kick to the house, and they took it down and scored. Missed the, I mean, it was a wild game. So that game was insane. Texas A&M game, obviously on the road, an incredible win for App State, which led to them getting game day last weekend, and they win with the Hail Mary after we visited with Chase Bryce uh, a few days ago. Uh, you could tell just how crazy that scene was. So App State has a flair for the dramatic. Uh, I would anticipate that continuing this weekend against the James Madison team that I'm not sure anyone really knows what to make of right now, but I can tell you this. They're not a team I'd want to play. I think they're really, really good. Lord help the livers of those of Boone if this game is incredible again. Uh, <laughs> number six, Wake Forest has never defeated Clemson in the Dabo Sweeney era. That's a crazy stat. Could this be the year that Deeks finally get it done? I, I think it is. Uh, here's the thing about Wake Forest and and about Clemson, conversely. I've called this game in the past. Uh, I've seen really good Clemson teams play against really good Wake Forest teams. Last year was a good example of that. Like Obviously, people are going to say, well, Clemson wasn't really good last year. Well, they were pretty good, 10-win team. You know, so they were pretty good, maybe just not up to Clemson's standard. Um, 
But here's the problem. Wake Forest, their offensive line, their scheme is really what makes their offensive line good. And Sam Hartman does an amazing job of feeling defenders and feeling where guys are and and using his instincts to kind of deliver the football and, and get a feel for where he wants to go with the football and making great decisions with where defenders are and, and are, do they crash inside? Well, perfect. I'm going to throw it right around them on the outside. Oh, well, they got a guy that's safety by deep. Perfect. I'm going to throw it over their head. All those things are really, really good against average to even below average defensive lines. Well, against high quality defensive lines, Wake Forest has at times really struggled. Uh, and Clemson is an example of a an elite defensive line. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, that is no secret. <laughs> that has been the case for as long as, as I can remember. But let's just think about Wake Forest last year. All right, Wake Forest lost three games last year. They lost because of pretty wild finish there against North Carolina, but they got beat badly by Clemson. They got beat badly by Pitt. What do Pitt and Clemson have in common? They both have elite defensive lines. Let's go back to 2020. They lost to Clemson. They lost to NC State. They lost to North Carolina, and they lost to Louisville. All right, granted, this was you know way back when, uh, and they also lost to Wisconsin. So that was in the bowl game. Uh, so you look at 2020, 2019. Let's go back. And really, really good. I mean, really, really good Wake Forest team. Lost to Clemson. Lost to Syracuse. Syracuse back in 2019 had a good defensive line. Lost to Virginia Tech. And they lost to Michigan State. Michigan State that year, pretty good defensive line as well. So I think one thing that can neutralize this Wake Forest offense is an elite defensive line. They can push and collapse the pocket. Sam Hartman's not the biggest guy in the world. They can push and collapse the pocket and make it difficult for him to see. Then it really clouds the read and it makes it a lot more difficult for him to be decisive with the football, whether he throws it or he runs it. So uh, I think that that is something that's going to be very difficult for them. And if you go back and watch the Clemson Wake Forest game last year, it really never felt close. Uh, And it's partly because of just how good that Clemson defensive line, albeit at less than 100%, how well, they played up front and just squeezing the pocket and just overrunning that Wake Forest offensive line. So I think it's going to be, I think it's a really tough matchup for Wake. Uh, and I have a hard time seeing them get this thing done this weekend. All right. Number seven. Will Arizona State show any fight against Utah with an interim coach on the sidelines? I'd like to think yes, right? I mean, I would love to. I know that there's some veteran players on that roster and. And Emory Jones, I mean, the problem is there's a lot of guys that are there kind of as mercenaries too. I mean, they had so many departures that felt like half their team left. And look at what some of the guys are doing at other places. I mean, Jaden Daniels is having a great run so far at LSU. Uh, Johnny Wilson at Florida State is, is kicking butt and taking names. I mean, they've lost some really good players. The last couple of years, they have a couple of running backs that I think are pretty solid, but they always seem to have uh, some rock solid running backs. But man, you look at Arizona State. I mean, I think that they'll play hard. Uh, I'd have a hard time thinking that they won't play hard, but I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think that this is going to be a really ugly year in Tempe, but you knew that was coming. Uh, just given all the departures, they could have held on to Herm. They could have fired Herm. They could have fired Herm in February. 
And I'm not sure it would have made much of a difference. This was just going to be a tough year regardless, which is why keeping him made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I love Herm. Uh, I really do. But either way, man, uh, I think it's going to be tough sledding the rest of the way. And you know Utah. Uh, Utah is going to be guns a blazing because they're still on a little bit of a war path after how things went in week one against the Florida Gators. So I'd love to tell you that it's going to be close, but Coobs, I'm not, I'm not convinced it will be. Yeah. I think we learned a little lesson last week in Nebraska, Oklahoma, where a lot of people thought Nebraska was going to show up and show some heart. Right. And, you know, they <laughs> yeah. I can promise you, I won't make that mistake. I won't make, I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. Cause I was like, think I was like, you, I was like, Hey, we're finally going to get Nebraska playing at a high level. And they hung in there for like a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> boom. It was over really quick after that. Dead wrong. But on now that you one. know. Now we know why they were tackling in practice during the week. <laughs> well, I they clearly practice that, and they still haven't got that down. Yeah, cl- clearly improvements uh, were were not made the way that they needed to be made because it was a track meet for Oklahoma last week. They could score at will. Yeah. All right. So uh, one of the best stories also this week uh, and in college football: Kansas and Duke undefeated. Will Jalen Daniels start to get the national recognition? that he deserves. Why is college game day not in Lawrence this weekend? Like that's, that is that's something you got to ask the bear. I already did. And I already told the bear that that's where they should go. And I texted him on Saturday. As soon as the game between Houston and Kansas went final saying that is your destination. I think he was on board. I really do. He, was. Uh, he said it last week. He was all I, in. Yeah. I don't know if there was some type of scheduling conflict or something like that, but I wish that game was there, but hey, I'll tell you this. If you haven't seen Jalen Daniels play yet, you are doing yourself a disservice. Like you, I, I, that's, I don't care if you've never watched a snap of Kansas football in your life. All right. I have. All right. As the resident Kansas Homer around here. Okay. Like I got my helmet in the background and everything now. All right. I'm all dialed up. But if you appreciate high level quarterback play, and you appreciate great athleticism at the position, you are hurting yourself if you're not spending a little bit of time each week watching Jalen Daniels and the Kansas Jayhawks offense. They are so fun to watch. I mean, so exciting. He's got such great mobility. He's got such natural athleticism. It, I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. Really, really good. So I, I wish he would get some of the recognition that, he deserves because not only they've won consecutive games on the road, uh, having beaten West Virginia and obviously having beaten um, Houston last week. And I mean, those are two teams that a lot of people had respect for coming into the season. All right. So I think they're going to get it done this weekend too. I think they're going to beat Duke and I, I like Duke. I think Riley Leonard and and what uh, Mike Elko's done in year one has been outstanding. So there's a lot of things to like with what I've seen from both Duke and from Kansas. I wish that game was being propped up a little bit more from a national perspective. But either way, man, I'm just telling you as a fan of college football, <laughs> listen to me, take it with a grain of salt. If you don't care, you don't care, fine. But if you want to just see something exciting and every single snap he could take at the distance, watch Jalen Daniels at Kansas, man. He is well worth the 15 minutes that you're going to spend watching him on the field on Saturday. You'll probably end up staying for more, but I'm telling you, carve out a little bit of time out of your Saturday and check it out because it's definitely worth your time. 
All right, number nine. And we asked this question kind of last week, and I think where it's going to be a continuation for the rest of the season. It's Bo Nix versus who? So this week is which quarterback <laughs> will have a better day, Bo Nix or Cameron Ward? Well, my thing is, could Bo Nix have had a better day than he had last week? No. I mean, Bo Nix was excellent last week. Excellent against BYU. And by the way, that was a complete beatdown. Uh, I mean, just complete beatdown in every sense of the word. And and I'm I'm really happy for, for Bo Nix. I'm really happy for Oregon because everyone was writing them off. Oh, they stink. Look at how bad they were against Georgia. Well, maybe Georgia's really good. They do that to everybody because they have so far. And maybe Oregon's not that bad, you know? And I think we learned last week because everyone's got respect for BYU. They've already beaten Baylor. But it was just going to be too much to ask them to go on the road and make something happen the way they did. He had three rushing touchdowns, had two passing touchdowns, threw for 222. I mean, Bo Nix, I'm not sure I've ever seen him play better than he played last week. So uh, I think Bo Nix has actually found something in Kenny Dillingham's offense, and he looks more comfortable than he's ever looked to me. Uh, Granted, did have a couple bad picks against Georgia. I'm not excusing that. I'm not saying that that's something that you know, I'm going to overlook because if we're going to look at the bigger picture, yes, that is part of the narrative this year. The week one performance where he threw a couple bad interceptions. Well, one really bad interception, one that was just a great defensive play. That's part of the 2022 narrative of the Oregon football team. But either way, man, last two weeks, if you're talking about, hey, what have you done for me lately? Bonick's playing really, really good football, so he deserves to be commended. So if I had to have one this week, uh, Cam Ward or Bonix, I'm going to go Bonix. I'm going to ride the hot hand, uh, just given the sense that he's really, I think, playing maybe the best football of his career up to this point. I love it. Let's go. All right, number 10, big matchup this weekend. Will Arkansas? Will the Arkansas defense smother AM's offense and put a lot of pressure on Jimbo Fisher? Well, this is our game, and I'm I'm really excited to get there. Uh, and honestly, like I'm I'm so impressed <clears throat> with both these defenses, right? Like everyone wants to talk about, well, A and M's offense, A and M's offense. Well, you know, maybe the offense is a work in progress, but the defense is playing great. Like, let's acknowledge what they're doing really, really well. And hey, they might just have to play that way. They might have to lean into their defense a little bit. They might have to be conservative offensively because their defense can win them games. Like sometimes, you know, they're conservative for a reason because they don't want to put their defense on the short field and they don't want to put their defense in harm's way. Now, are there things that they can do to grow offensively? Yes. I, th- I think that it's been a bit of a struggle so far. You've already made a quarterback change. And, <clears throat> you know, I think that those things take time. So I'm not going to be too bent out of shape about where AM is offensively right now. Briefly about. Arkansas's defense, Barry Odom and company. And you really kind of look at Arkansas last year, early on in the season, Arkansas was playing excellent defense last year. I mean, really, really good. uh, The first few games of last season. And then for whatever reason, as the season went along, it just kind of got away from a little bit. Uh, They kind of struggled against Ole Miss. They struggled against Auburn. They struggled against Alabama. Uh, but they did have some good performances in there as well. I mean, they got a good win against Mississippi State, but they gave up 28 points. Uh, so either way, I mean, there were some moments last year with Arkansas's defense that were very, very high, and there were some moments that were very, very low. Um, however, this year, 
I get the sense, and and I don't know if I'm crazy, but I get the sense that this defensive performances can be a little bit more repeatable. Uh, I was a little concerned with what I saw out of the Cincinnati game. thought there were a few too many opportunities for balls to be thrown over their head and thought that if Cincinnati had connected on a couple of those throws, which were very connectable, uh, that game would have been very, very different. So I'm not sure I'm 100% sold on where Arkansas is at defensively right now. I think they need to shore a couple things up in the back end. Um, But against the run, there's some things to feel good about. And last week uh, is a very teachable moment. When you're playing against the Missouri State team that has 400 yards of offense and 357 passing yards on you, that's something that needs to get ironed out. Because look, Bobby Petrino is a great coach, a great offensive mind. The secondary concerns are going to become even greater when you're playing against even better offenses than what you're going to see against Missouri State. So uh, I don't know if AM is really at the position right now where they can start threatening you all over the field with stretching the field vertically and you know Max Johnson just carving you up through the air one after another. I don't know if they're there just yet, uh, but the talent's there. The talent's on that roster. So uh, I'm, I think that if they're going to get things short up, they better start this week. Arkansas needs to, that's for sure. Because if they don't, it's only a matter of time before some of these teams start hitting some of those downfields and it becomes really difficult to win those games. Their offense, however, is playing great. So not too concerned about where Arkansas is at offensively. I thought the slow start last week kind of lacked maturity more so than anything else. But either way, that'll be a fascinating game this weekend. I can't wait to be there for it in Dallas. And and it's, I think, definitely one of the games of the weekend. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more More than than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, another Wednesday. It means another episode of Eli's Places. We are so excited for this one, too. You've probably already seen the clip. It's all over the place. It has gone viral. And I'm talking about viral with a capital V. Let's take a look at Eli's Places featuring the great Chad Powers. 
How do you find your walk-ons here at Penn State? We have a tryout process, which we do twice a year, once in the fall, which happens to be today, and once in the spring. You know, Coach, to truly understand the walk-on experience, I think I need to try out. We can give it a try, but I worry you'd be a little bit of a distraction. Let me handle that. Hello, I'm Chad Powers. Hey, Chad Powers. So, Chad Powers. It was finally time to make Chad's walk-on dreams a reality. What's up, pal? Chad Powers. Ferris. Ferris? Nice to meet you. Nervous? A little bit. Yeah. Nervous are good. Nervous are good, that's right. How many receivers we got? Think they can run? Better be able to run, run fast. I got a hose. Probably 60, 65. I don't know, that was back about seven years ago, so I don't know. <laughs> Things might change, you know? Think fast, run fast, think fast, run fast. 549. 549. Five, Alrighty, here we go, three and inch. Here we go, up, left, here, ball. Ooh, see those feet, baby. Feet are moving, it's coming back. Here we go. We put on a show today. Here, here again. Up. Ball. Spun it. Spun it. Oh. Spin it. That's right. Look up Arm Town Dictionary. See a picture of Chad. Chad Powers. Up. You ain't seen nothing like him. Not just good looking. I can throw it, baby. Good ball. Oh, he's about to throw some ball. He's Good ball, Chad. Good ball! Oh. Dotted him off! Good ball, Chad! Good anticipation, man. Oh, signed the Chad Powers guy. Is he good? I think I see something in him. Five four nine on the forty. I feel like that's actually pretty good. I mean, how old is Eli now? Like late thirties, early forties. Five forty nine's moving. I feel like that's pretty good. I'm actually surprised he didn't say I'm good on the forty. I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna stay away from that. Ball did look pretty good coming out of his hand, though. Clearly, he's been you know throwing it around a little bit in the backyard. I would imagine maybe him and Peyton are playing burnout there in the backyard at some point around some of the family holidays. Who knows? But either way, man. Eli's Places, you can always check it out on ESPN+. Plus. They do an amazing job, just an amazing job. So I've always enjoyed those episodes, and I look forward to watching the entirety of the Chad Powers episode as it gets released today. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you so much being patient with us. Hey, I'm sorry that I look like I got beat up. Like This is not a black eye. Uh, I just threw up the other night, and I think I burst a blood vessel. I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I'm just... I've been roughing it these last couple of weeks, but I'm going to get it figured out. All right. Just got to get it figured out. Got to get in my groove. I've never been sick this much early in the season. I've been sick twice already. It's not good. It's not good, but don't worry. We're going to clap it off. We're going to move forward and we're going to get going here in the next couple of weeks. So we appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or on the ESPN YouTube channel. Hit us up in the comments there on the YouTube channel. 
Really appreciate any interaction you can give us and how you think we can get better. That'd be really helpful. Hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. On our social media, alwayscfb on Instagram and on Twitter. You hit me up on Twitter as well, at Greg McElroy, at Greg.McElroy on Instagram. So appreciate you very much checking this out on all the various different forms of content that we're trying to provide you. So thanks again. Like I said, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.